Welcome to the Rodcast. I'm your host, Dr. Rod. So my guest today is a world-renowned expert in public health nutrition. Uh, she has worked um, for the various, very prestigious Food Standard Agency, and for those of you familiar with it in, in the UK, um, she worked uh, in the George Institute for, for Global Health in Sydney, Australia, which looked after very interesting initiatives in things like salt reduction uh, and other sort of food policy strategies. And today she works as a technical officer for the Regional Office for Europe for the World Health Organization, uh, helping countries uh, devise their sort of you know food policy strategies and is a one of the world's leading experts on salt uh, reduction and amongst other things. Uh, Claire, friend, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Rodrigo, uh, particularly for a very generous uh, introduction. Um, I'm pleased to join you today and, and uh, talk about, well, I'll let you introduce the topic, but uh, something that's uh, very interestingly, interesting, timely and, and close to my heart. So you're, you're joining us today from, from Copenhagen, is that right? That's, that, that's right. I'm actually joining you from a very sunny uh, Copenhagen today, which is unusual at this time of year. So uh, everyone's in good spirits. So uh, the, the WHO regional office is in, in Copenhagen, but there is, is a department in, in Moscow. Is that, is that right? Uh, that's correct. So I work as the technical officer within the NCD office. So NCDs, which stands for non-communicable diseases. So cardiovascular disease, cancers, diabetes, um, and all of the risk factors associated with those diseases, such as nutrition, physical activity, alcohol, tobacco, are led by our NCD office, which is based in Moscow. I'm I'm currently in Copenhagen, but I work with our, our colleagues in, in Moscow. So as as a global sort of superstar <laughs> in food policy, do you get invited to many food parties? <laughs> I I often say I don't get invited to many to many dinner parties. <laughs> I uh I've been called the uh, the salt lady and the food police. Yeah, because um, everybody must must watch <laughs> what you're eating constantly. I think there is a, a general feeling that I might be judging other people on what they're cooking, um, but of course that's not the case. I mean, I anyone like anyone, I, I'm delighted to be invited to dinner and, and obviously enjoy going out for dinner. Um, that is not my day to day, of course. So. Um, yeah, I like to uh, like to sort of make make light of that, but uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, very, very much like like doctors. What's the phrase? Do as I say, not as I not as I do. Um, yeah. Though I must I must confess, I'm I mean I'm I'm not known for my um, uh, my chef uh, uh, skills in the kitchen. Um, I actually was always brought up long before, and maybe this is also part of why I have an interest in, in nutrition, but uh, within my family, we, we've always cooked quite simply. Um, so we've never really added, I mean, my mum my, my and my dad have never added salt to the food that they're cooking, and, and actually neither did my grandparents. Um, so I've certainly grown up um, in that way, and I, uh, and which means it's had an impact on on my palate. So I really do notice, you know, salty foods. Mm. Um, 
and uh, my dinner guests also <laughs> do you, notice. Really? <laughs> so do you hide the salt shakers at, at home when you have people over? I've had people over that have brought their own salt shakers no. because I, I <laughs> because for a long time I didn't I didn't even have salt in my house just because uh, just because I don't cook I don't use it and I don't cook with it um, but that's just been my yeah my my ex that's always been my experience. Wow, so you really do uh, walk walk the talk. <laughs> but what about you know all these. Um, new sort of fads and and diets uh that are coming along you know increasingly you go to a supermarket probably anywhere in or most parts of the world and you see a section that has you know vegan options gluten-free options um i mean i think there's still a lot of work to be done to get the public even myself to you know understand what's in those foods are they actually healthier so i was wondering if you could you know shed some shed some light on your your sort of thoughts in terms of that movement yes certainly so we're seeing an increase um availability of what we call plant-based foods coming onto the market. Um, we've seen that uh, in the uk across the region and also globally um, and the reality is that we don't really have the data which tells us uh, the nutrition composition of these uh, plant-based foods. Um, there's still a lot that we don't know about these types of uh, products that are coming onto the market. Um, but I think one thing is clear is that um, many of us are becoming increasingly interested in not only our own health, but also the health of our planet. Um, and we're looking towards uh, plant-based foods or you know, uh, plant-based diets so that we can not only uh, improve our own health, but also reduce our meat consumption in line with some of the um, climate, uh, climate change agenda items to reduce, uh, to improve planetary health. And as we do so, uh, the food industry is responding and the food industry is manufacturing more and more of these plant-based alternatives. Um, and in one way, that is making it a lot easier for us to make uh, choices um, which align with our ambitions to um, support yeah, the, the environment. Um, but on the other we don't fully recognize or understand what's in these products um, and the impact that it might have on our health. And I would say overall, a lot of these products coming onto the market are still packaged and processed foods. Um, and they may still contain high levels of salt, fat and sugar. And as consumers, we need to know uh, so that we can make choices to ensure that we are uh, doing what's yeah what's what's right for the planet but also what's right for our, our own health in january there is um, a big movement towards veganary so many um, people sign up to veganary where they uh, completely limit uh, animal consumption of animal products um, and we're doing a lot of work around uh, healthy and sustainable diets because we want to uh, shift diets towards more plant-based diets 
But having a plant-based diet doesn't necessarily mean that you only eat, um, uh, that you completely limit animal products and you only eat foods derived from, from plants. It's really about um, encouraging people to incorporate more plants uh, into their diet. Um, and I think if you take that approach, um, it's, it's easier for people to digest and actually move in that direction uh, rather than considering that they have to completely shift their diet from their, uh, maybe their usual diet, which might contain a lot of animal products to a diet which contains none at all. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's an important, I think that's an important point for, for people to recognize. Um, and we're doing a lot of work in the region on, on healthy and sustainable diets. We, we recognize that this is an important topic. Um, many countries in our region are, are also um, uh, moving towards uh, promoting healthy and sustainable diets. We don't yet quite know what that looks like. And so there's a lot of background work to be done. Um, and I think collecting the data on what these uh, products that are coming onto the marketplace actually include will help inform some of the the, the policy decisions made within within countries. I think that's a really interesting point because traditionally, when when you think of you know going pescatarian, going vegan, going becoming a vegetarian, you you always well at least I always think of it as a as a black or white you either completely drop meat products or or you don't but i think what you mentioned is really interesting it's it's probably more practical and and easier for for the for everyone for from a behavioral perspective from a body perspective uh to just start by dropping or incorporating you know more of the healthier uh, stuff and yeah. not just you know do it cold turkey yeah um, I think I mean I'm often asked um, when I tell people I'm a public health nutritionist um, you know what's my advice and um, and it's not actually specifically my advice but it's advice that I've incorporated um, along the way and it's really to focus on the foods to include rather than on the foods to exclude um, and I think when you think about incorporating more fruits and vegetables and whole grains into your diet it leaves little room to think about oh i mustn't eat um you know meat or sugar or whatever it is that you are trying to limit um so i think yeah uh, shifting your focus on getting the best of what you can in your diet will help you to achieve that yeah so so what is in these products because i, I read somewhere that you you could I don't know who where this cat I can't remember where this category comes from, but you have you have processed foods, and then you have a, a category that is like ultra processed foods or hyper processed foods or something like that, which is like extremely processed, obviously. And and these plant based diets usually fall into hyper, mega, or whatever the the prefix is. And um, and if I remember my my sort of biology um 101 in order to have these types of products you have to one sometimes add more salt to maintain shelf life 
uh, but also if you're removing some components, there's the flavor profile uh, you have to be aware of. And, and so to take away, you know, fat or, or whatever it is that, you know, meat products might have, you have to substitute it with, with something. So what's, what's going in these? Have, has there been any research looking at sort of the content, you know, salt wise, or if they're, you know, healthier for you and, and so on? Yeah, so I think the first um, thing to to note is that I mean the the term ultra processed and processed foods is still widely um, uh, discussed in the literature, and all foods or many of the foods in the supermarket have undergone some level of processing, and so when we talk about uh, limiting intake of processed foods, we're we're really actually talking about those high or those ultra processed foods for, for want of a better term, um, and that's because they have undergone quite a high level of processing, which includes adding salt, fat and sugar um, for reasons such as taste, the taste profile, shelf life um, and also texture of that, those products. Um, we have a lot of experience actually related to reducing the amount of um, and I'll use salt as the example here in, in these packaged processed foods. Um, and what, what we've seen and some of the data that we've collected over the years, and there's been a, a strong program of work in the UK and globally on, on uh, reducing population level salt intake because we're all consuming too much salt and most of the salt that we eat comes from the foods that we buy. Um, and so in order to reduce our salt intake, we need to work with the food industry to um, reformulate those products so that they contain less salt um, and we can continue to enjoy those products um, with, uh, with less salt and it will have um, a lesser impact on our health. Um, and many food manufacturers have reduced the amount of salt in these products. So we know that it's possible. Consumers are still buying those products, so they must still taste good because, you know, one of the main concerns with the food industry or food manufacturers is that people won't buy their products um, if they don't taste, if they don't taste good, of course. Um, so we know, we know reformulation is possible. Um, and we also know that there are many products, similar products on the market, which have varying degrees of salt, fat and sugar in them. Um, and what we want to see is for food manufacturers to produce these products with the lowest levels of salt, fat and sugar as, as technically possible. Um, because these products are going to continue to be on the market and more products are going to come onto the market. Um, and so the motivation to, to, to work with the food industry to ensure that the products have the healthiest nutrition profiles is in, is of course in, in our best interest. So, so you mentioned uh, the back-to-back -back meeting sort of, um, situation with I, I think we can all re all relate to or many of us relate to and that got me thinking about sort of you know mental mental health and and how mental health has changed with the pandemic um, we're seeing an increase in uh, as, as many countries have in cases of anxiety uh, depression um, from from a meeting perspective I think probably one of my favorite uh, analogies or, 
or metaphors was was saying that you know having back-to-back zoom meetings was like telling a, an actor that they had to perform on camera for five hours straight and if you told any actor that they would they would say absolutely not you're you know you're you're out of your mind it takes so much uh out of you but for some reason we think it's you know okay at work what's what's your sort of uh take and and experience with with sort of mental health and and food i mean are there any foods or or anything in particular that that you you've seen um in the science um can contribute to to sort of either positive or, or negative mental health I think, uh, you know, just taking it back to uh, basics, really, in enjoying a, like a healthy and balanced diet. So ensuring that you eat plenty of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, limit your intakes of uh, saturated fats, salt and, and sugar, all contribute to ensuring that you have um, a, you know, positive health outcomes. And in terms of you know linking that directly to our our mental health essentially having ensuring that we have a, a healthy and, and balanced diet is going to have a, an impact on our on our mental health uh, generally speaking and uh, i think the challenge with um the some of the um mental health issues that you described in from you know working at home means that we're not in that positive mental state or our normal mental state which would actually um, encourage us to make the effort or take the time to make a you know a, a, a healthy meal um, and I think that's that can be one of the the knock-on consequences of that yeah and and you mentioned sort of you know balanced uh, diet and fruit and veg um, I think WHO, the recommendation, is it still three to five units? Yes, so we recommend about 400 grams of fruits and vegetables. I yeah. think it's very difficult for people to understand what that might look like. Um, and so we talk about a portion of fruits or vegetables as sort of like a palm size uh, portion. Um, and ideally eating about five portions of fruits um, and vegetables a day the more that you can incorporate into your diet the better um, but as a as a minimum trying to focus your attention on 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 getting those those five portions in so, so five <laughs> palms <laughs> uh was it denmark that uh even went even a step further and they said six and they had the the six a day campaign and because of the, the the translation, it it looks is six <laughs> like sex, uh, or something like that. And and so the government had all these these um, these ads that were like it looked like fruits. Like uh, yeah, sex. I can see that drawing people's uh, attention. Um, and you're really testing my Danish, actually, Rodrigo. <laughs> but uh... I can't remember if it was Denmark or it was Norway, but I remember yeah, it was it was sex a day. Um, which I thought was quite funny. Yeah, um, many countries have. I mean, we in in terms of um, guidelines, many countries adapt uh, the WHO uh, guidelines towards their own national context. Um, 
and I, I can't remember exactly the number of fruits and vegetables it is in Canada, but I know it's it's quite a high a high number. That's that's right. I remember because we we use a um, a digital well being provider in Canada, and they have a health risk assessment, and so the health risk assessment flags anything unusual that the user will will you know will input, and we we had a, a few complaints because because they were using the Canadian standard for fruits and veg and nobody was meeting that. So everyone was getting flagged. Many countries aren't meeting the, the national standards or the recommendations for fruit and vegetable intake. Um, there's a lot of work to try and promote increased intake of fruits and vegetables. Um, now, is, is that a, a supply issue? Is it a cultural issue? What, what, what is, what's going on? I think there are many factors that influence how um, people eat um, but, and, you know, certainly cost would be one of those factors. So the cost of fruits and vegetables might be more expensive than it is to buy, um, uh, cheap packaged or processed foods and people on a budget, um, might can, you know, might not prioritize eating fruits and vegetables over being able to feed their families in the first place. So that's a challenge. Um, also, uh, education so people understanding the uh, the the need and the benefit of eating fruits and vegetables so increasing public awareness around the importance of a healthy diet and what a healthy diet actually contains in the context of their own country because of course you know foods vary um, and specifically like in the region diets are hugely varied from country to country um, and obviously that exists globally as well um, and uh, you know, potentially it could also be motivation towards eating fruits and vegetables and the cost of convenience um, because people tend to look to fruits and vegetables or vegetables in particular as something that you need to prepare before you eat them. Um, and with increasing availability of packaged and processed foods um, and limited time, um, people tend to lean towards buying those more convenient options. So, so what's the strategy there? Because if, if I'm, you know, say a mother of, of three or father of three, and I have limited income and time, um, and I have one option, which is, you know, very cheap, ready made, you know, fried food, uh, versus, uh, something that's more expensive and I'm going to have to prepare it. I mean, the choice, it's pretty easy. So, so what's, what's the strategy there to try to, you know, change that? And the main strategy is increasing the availability and affordability of, of, of healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and, and all the whole grains. Um, because one component is actually the cost of the item in and of itself. Uh, but also if there's not a supermarket nearby, which sells fresh produce, um, but there's a corner store where you can pick up, you know, a, a packet of um, instant noodles, for example, for for 30p. I haven't been in the UK for a while, but <laughs> however much a packet of noodles costs, then then you can see why uh, somebody who is um, resource poor in terms of finance or um, uh, and actually finance also links to, to transport might choose those um, 
those options over um, uh, the, the fruits and vegetables. So we need to ensure that, yeah, fruits and vegetables are an easy choice or that healthy food is an easy choice in, in general. We focused on fruits and vegetables, but, uh, you know, really this is across the spectrum of a, of a healthy diet. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, so another question I wanted to ask you, so working with the World Health Organization, um, you must uh, be involved and have line of sight into you know different countries and and see uh, lots of the world. Um, Claire and I met in Indonesia many moons ago, uh, working with the World Health Organization, trying to to um, help the Indonesian government with their their salt reduction initiatives. Um, but yeah, you, I mean, you must you must see so much of of the world. I'm I'm curious, you know, in your experience, have you seen something that has surprised you that that you've seen in in a country that is has been sort of you know best in class uh, in terms of of nutrition or, or health policy that you were surprised um, that you haven't seen before? I remember years ago reading that the French government was thinking of hiring sort of cordon bleu head chefs to design uh, foods in, in public schools for kids, you know, to improve, uh, which I thought was, you know, fascinating and super, a super maverick idea. Is there anything that comes to mind that you've seen that you thought, wow, that is that is super interesting. I, I wish more countries would, would do that. Uh, well, I mean, that's actually an excellent example, uh, Rodrigo. Um, and I just want to highlight the important role that chefs actually have. Many of us look to chefs on the TV um, and uh, watch what they're doing, consider ourselves chefs at home and replicate um, so chefs has a, have a really important role to play. And I think where we can leverage chefs to um, help to promulgate our public health messages, um, uh, then we should. Uh, but in terms of uh, best in class, I, I mean, the what really stands out in my mind and um, uh, this is actually quite simple and not uh, not necessarily effective in, in every country, but um, when I was working in uh, Vanuatu um, and we were um, uh, assessing uh, the food environment in Vanuatu and going to supermarkets and collecting data on uh, the, the foods available in supermarkets, uh, many of those foods were imported um, and actually the language on the label it wasn't possible to to read it. it wasn't in english or um and that's the the main language spoken in in vanuatu so it was impossible for consumers to actually even uh, take any control over their choices within the supermarket um and also there were very limited uh, limited options uh however on the other hand everybody in their garden had a mango tree, a banana tree, and um, some other sort of uh, vegetable patch. And when I spoke to our colleagues, our local colleagues that we were working with in Vanuatu, uh, she explained to me that 
every person has this in their garden um, and that is their main source of, uh, of, of fruits and vegetables. And I just thought how wonderful that was to have access to fruits and vegetables on a daily basis, be part of the process of, um, you know, cultivating those those uh, 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 fruits and vegetables um, and be able to in, yeah, enjoy them fresh to your table. No, but I, I get where you're coming from. I'm, I'm so jealous people that have their own gardens. My lemon tree has not even given flowers for the last like four years, but I guess that's that's a price to pay living in, in London. <laughs> I don't think you're in the right country, perhaps. <laughs> well, on that nugget, um, uh, I just have one more, more question uh, to ask you. So from a, from a personal perspective, what's, what's the one thing that you've found that has helped you with your own health uh, the most? And it could be anything, whether it's, you know, an app or a, a, a routine, you know, what's, what's the one thing you would, if somebody asked you, you would say, I would, you know, endorse, I would advise, uh, I would plug, you know, this thing that's helped me. I think over the course of my my um, adult and probably adolescent years, I've tried many things. Um, and I think the main thing that helps is that uh, I don't focus on the detail. I actually just look at the broader picture. And when I think about my 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 daily habits, the things that I do the most often, they're the things that are going to have the greatest impact on my health. And so making sure that, you know, I start the day with a, you know, a, a good, healthy, wholesome breakfast, getting some fruits or vegetables uh, at, at each meal um, and taking plenty of uh, physical activity where it allows. And that doesn't mean that I'm focused on like getting to the gym five times a week. It's like getting up from my desk and going for a walk. It, it's the little things that you do um, every day that will have the, the greatest impact on your health in, in my perspective. Great. Well, thanks. Thanks for that. And thanks again for being on the broadcast. That was extremely insightful and um, useful. And uh, I just want to thank you again for, for your time. No, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Um, it's yeah, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Hey, thanks for listening, folks. If you enjoyed that, please hit subscribe, like, and share. See you next time.